Poland. Brother McLean is going to share a special message for you, so I'm just going to turn over the microphone to him. Thank you. That's fine. Good morning. Ooh. It's a privilege to be here, and I want to thank um, Pastor Brenda and, and the rest of the pastors, pastoral staff for allowing us to come. I think the last time that we were here was about eight years ago. It's been a while. Um, we've been in Poland for now for 15 years, and um, you know, a lot of that for us to be able to be there in Poland so long is because of you. Um, it's your monthly support, your faithful monthly support that you have you've given to us. It's your prayers. It's the love that you've shown to us every time that we do are able to come and see you. And we just want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for all that. I also want to thank you for Speed the Light. Um, we have had in Poland now seven vehicles, not personally for ourselves, but with the other missionaries that have come on, on board and have joined us in Poland. When we first arrived there, we were the only missionaries from the Assemblies of God that were there. And um, since then, we've had four other couples come. We've got another one coming um, that should be there by the time we get back. And, um, and I just want to thank you because that speed of light has allowed us to speed the light. Exactly what it says. It's allowed us to go to places where we wouldn't be able to go without, without those vehicles. Um, we, had, we, had just, we just got our second speed of light vehicle for ourselves because we lost the drive shaft in our first one. And we had to replace it, and now we have a four-wheel drive Isuzu um, pickup that we use because we are ministering to a group of hunters, 120,000 unreached people in Poland that we're able to reach to. And I'm going to share some of the story behind this this morning, but, but because of Speed the Light, now we can get into some of those back roads and some of those trails and some of those places we wouldn't be able to get with the other vehicle that we had. So thank you, young people, for giving to Speed the Light. Also, BGMC, I was delighted to watch this this morning. That was so cool. Um, about 15 years ago, we were given from BGMC $30,000 to develop a curriculum for Poland for the, for the catechisms that would normally be in the, in the public schools. Because in Poland, it's a, a nation of 99% Catholic people that are not taught about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're taught about traditions. They're not taught how to love Christ. They're not taught how to, to be born again. And so in the public schools, they are, the, they are run by the Catholic Church. And in the public school, the catechism is all Catholic tradition. In 2004, the government gave the Pentecostal Church of Poland the right to become a, an entity that would have their own curriculum and could teach their own curriculum in the schools However, because we didn't have that curriculum, we couldn't do it. And so it was only reverted back to the Catholic Church. In 2002, when we arrived, we were given $30,000 from BGMC to develop a curriculum. And now, in our Sunday schools, we teach that curriculum, which is accepted by the public schools. And so our kids coming to church get one hour of credit towards that curriculum because of BGMC. And to even make it better than that, the government pays our teachers to teach the curriculum. How can you beat that? 
And so thank you for, for this. I know that sometimes young people and children it's an, and even adults, sometimes it's a sacrifice to give to missions. And, and, and we understand you know, what it means to sacrifice money. Um, we've had to do it in the past, and we've done it in the past. And, and you know what? I want you to know this. God always blesses when you, have, when you are a, a happy giver. When you, are, when you give from the abundance of your heart and you give to God sacrificially, it comes back to you. It may not come back to you financially, but it comes back to you, believe me. We have seen God do great things through giving. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for your giving, all of you. Thank you for that. Um, Lord, you want to just share a couple? We've been, we're just getting over. Excuse our voices and our coughs. We are just getting over. Um, I think we had pneumonia. I walked into a church about three weeks ago. And I walked in, and I, and I didn't really do anything. And a man walked up to me and said, God told me to pray for your lungs. And he prayed for my lungs. And the next day, I was sicker than a dog. And I thought, wow, what kind of prayer was that? But I believe that God used that man to, to pray for me so that these infections that I had in my lungs, he didn't know this, but a week before, I was cutting down trees, and I had to sit down a couple minutes, and I had to say to Lori, I said, Lori, I'm out of short breath. There's something wrong with me. I can't breathe. I'm not like this. But God used that then to those that, that, that fevers and stuff then to, to allow that stuff to come up out of me. And, and um, I believe that that man's prayer was, was, was from God so he could do something in my life. But we're, we're recovering now. But Lori still has a cough. And I still have a little bit of a cough from time. So just bear with us if you would. If, you, if we get in a coughing spell, just mute, our, mute us, would you? Thanks for the water earlier. It is a privilege <coughs> to be here again today. And, and we, want to, we want each of you, it, it go, we have a table out back in the foyer after church. If you do not have our prayer cards, we need your prayers. Um, we have our, our information is on that, and so take that home, pray over Poland, pray over the McLean's skis every day, every night, every, every time God puts us on your heart, pray for us, that we can continue our ministry, that God will just continue to use us to further the kingdom of God. We do want to bring you greetings from Kostel Nazacishu in Warsaw, Poland. Um, they send their greetings to you and just want, to know, want you to know that you are so precious in their eyes that we can be part of them and work with them in, in all across Poland. Um, we, we do have two boys on our picture in the foyer. I see that you've got our older, older picture on there. Our boys are now grown. Um, before we left for Poland five years ago, we married both of them off within three weeks of each other. Um, that's why he's got a gray beard now. But, um, we are you know, just blessed and uh, now have two beautiful granddaughters. Um, so they're all in Michigan. So when we get to different parts of the state, we can visit and love on them and spoil them rotten. Um, so it's just a, a privilege. We are, um, this is kind of a, a Polish traditional dress after you hunt. You know, everybody, they take off their hunting clothes and they put on their good ones. Um, so this is why we've got kind of these different clothes on our poster out there. It shows our, our dress uniforms that we don't have on today. Um, but this is what we wear when we signal for hunts. And the, we have signal horns, if you've never seen anything like this before. Uh, it's, it's without any valves. Everything is played by natural tones. Um, so we do a lot of those things. Um, Rich has learned to do that. He'll share a little bit more about that. But <clears throat> I think my voice is done. Okay. Again, thank you for having us. It really is a privilege and an honor to be here. And when I came in the doors, I was so surprised because this church has changed. And it looks like to me like you've grown. And, and Pastor, that, that's, that's great. You're doing a great job. And um, 
And as a pastoral staff, you should be proud of them. Thank you for making us so welcome. We walked in the doors. The girls opened the doors for us. Um, so, some people met us. They set us all up. And, and it was just wonderful. And that's, that's great. It just made us feel so welcome. And we want to thank you for that. I'm going to talk more about Poland. But I'm going to preach as well. And so I'm going to combine the two together if I can. To share, to share with you what we're doing along with the miracles of God. I want to talk to you today about purpose. My wife and I are church planters in Poland, and over the last um, eight years, we planted four churches in Poland. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but in Poland, it's huge. The first church plant that we planted two months ago had 200 people in attendance. That is a miracle of God, a literal miracle, because we are talking about a nation that's a nation of 38.5 million people. It's just a little bit bigger than Michigan, but it's a 38.5 million people. And of 38.5 million people, only 35,000 of them are born again. Less than 1%, 0.08% actually. And so as church planners, what we want to do is we want to put um, um, churches in cities of, of 10,000 or more, because there's a lot of cities there that have 10,000. And we want to plant a church that has, does not have any evangelical church in it and put a church there and get it started and let it grow. The first church that we planted was in Warsaw, which is the capital city of, of Poland. And the reason that we planted it there is because Warsaw is a city of three and a half million people. And of three and a half million people, there's only a thousand born again believers. And so we planted our first church there along with there was, there was already three other Pentecostal churches there. But we planted on, on the opposite side of town. We planted our first church. And that's the one that runs now about, um, about 200 people on, on a Sunday morning. That church, when it was running 43 people, planted another church. Think about that. And that was about four years ago. And about four years ago, we decided that we wanted to continue to plant churches. And so we found a little city called Pshasnish. Everybody say that, Pshasnish. Isn't that fun to say? We, we planted a city, uh, in a city called Pshasnish, about 60 miles from Warsaw, a city of about 25,000 20, yeah, 25, people. And that church today is struggling. And I'm going to be honest with you. It, has about, it runs about 12 people. But it's struggling because that place is a place that has a very traditional Catholic presence. And the Catholic priest has denied us from renting buildings. And any time that we would go into a building, we were renting a, a place that we called the upper room because it was in the top of a pizza parlor. And we, we would rent there. And, and as soon as the priest found out that we were renting an evangelical or a Pentecostal church was renting, he drove us out. He threatened the owner of the Pizza Hut that he would shut them down. And so we ended up moving to another place. And again, the priest found out. And then we tried to get into the um, actual, we, we actually had, a, had an agreement with the fire department to rent out the, their hall in their, in their fire department. And again, the priest found out and shut us down. So would you pray for Pshasnish? It's a church plan of about 12 people. And it needs a pastor, and it needs a place, because right now they're meeting in the home of a family. So will you play, pray for Pshasnish? The second, now when that church was now, that church was, has, had, had grown just a little bit more, that first church, it daughtered a second church in a place called, in a place called Putusk. It's a city of about 40,000 people. That church today is autonomous. That church today runs about 30 people. It's about three years old. Isn't that great? And then about eight months ago, 
we decided to plant a church in a city of 120,000 people in a city called Ports. And that church today already is an eight month, it's eight months old, and it already has about 20 people. And God is doing some neat things. And the reason that we're church planners is because we believe that God wants to see everyone in this world hear the gospel and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to share some more things that we do, but let me just start with the message. When we first, when we first applied for missions about 15 years ago, we had to go to a place called in Springfield where we went to a school of missions. And, they, and, then, and over a two-week period, they teach you everything there is to know about missions. And I don't know about you, but I cannot gather everything in a two-week period of time. But there are certain things that just stuck out in my mind. And one of those things that stuck out in my mind was this. The thing that stuck out the most was they told us that when you go to a foreign country, you be careful with your hand gestures. Now, I'm a type of person that when I preach, you'll see my hands just to fly. And I'll be doing stuff with my hands. And so I had to really watch my hands when I went to Poland because I didn't want to do something with my hands that would cause offense somebody or you know, cause offense to somebody. And so when I was over there, my wife and I, the first week after we got our speed light car, we were driving down the road and we're driving past these bus stops and we're driving past these corners and people are doing this to us. And we're going, wow, these people are so friendly. And so we just waved back as we chugged along in our car and they would go to the next bus stop and they'd go like this to us. And, and we would wave at them and we'd just go on doing our car. Come to find out... What they were doing when they were doing this to us is they were actually doing this. They were hitchhiking. And we were going by them as they were hitchhiking, trying to get a ride from us, and, and we were just waving at them. They're hitchhiking, and we think that they're just being friendly, and so we're waving back. The second thing that happened was um, in Poland... Um, I was driving by, and I came to a, a crosswalk, and I stopped because a lady was crossing the walk. And I, and I probably stopped rather abruptly because I didn't see her at first. And so when I stopped the car, she looked at me, and she turned around, and I could still see her go like this to me. And I thought, man, that's pretty rude. I stopped for you, lady. Why are you being so rude to me? So I, being the stupid American as I was, I took my hand and just went right back to her. Later on, I found out Poland has a law in the law is this, that 24 hours a day when you drive your car, 365 days of the year, you have to have your lights on. And she was simply telling me to turn my lights on. <laughs> to this day, I have not found that woman to go back to her and apologize. But as you can see, sometimes hand gestures can get you in trouble, and sometimes hand gestures are very important. In the Army, there's a hand gesture that's like an international hand gesture like this. You know what that means? I surrender. In church, you know what this means? It means I surrender. It means, God, whatever you want to do with me today, I'm praising you and you can have me. You can have my whole being and I surrender to you. In the world, there's also another international signal that goes like this. You know what that means? Stop. It means I've had enough. Don't go any farther. Just stop. And you know what? In our lives... As Christians, I believe that those hand gestures are important to us as well. Because I believe with all my heart that God has a purpose, a special purpose for every person in the world. I believe, like David, in the Psalms when he said, 
that I knit you in your mother's womb before your mother and father even had any plans for you. I knew you. I believe that God has a special purpose for your life. I believe that, yes, the entire purpose of God is for us to build up his kingdom. But I believe that each person in this room has a special purpose for you. God has a special purpose for your life. I think about Jeremiah the prophet when God speaks to Jeremiah in chapter 1 and he says to Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. I called you to be a prophet to the nation. He had a specific plan for Jeremiah. Ephesians chapter 2, we, we know the story about for by grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then he continues it, and Paul writes and he says, because you are God's masterpiece. You're his workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which I planned before the foundation of the world. Do you realize that God had you planned before he founded the world? He had a special purpose and a special plan for your life. And you know what's so funny about this? Even the secular society recognizes this. About um, 12 years ago, there was a, a movie out called I, Robot, and I want to show you a clip from this movie. I guess anything's normal for someone in your position. Thank you. You said someone, not something. Sonny, do you know why Dr. Lanning built you? No. But I believe my father made me for a purpose. We all have a purpose. Don't you think, detective? Even Hollywood recognizes that we all have a purpose. And I'm here today to tell you that I am 120% convinced, 1,000% convinced, that every, purpose, every person in this room has a God-given purpose. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's creation, created before the foundation of the world to do good works, the works which God had planned for us. I believe that. And we, as God's workmanship, can do one of two things. We can either surrender to God and say, God, mold me. God, chip off the hard things from me. God, break me. And use me for your glory. Or we can say, stop. God, I don't want anything to do with what you're doing to me. Because sometimes in finding the purpose of God, it takes a shattering of our will. It takes a shattering of our life. It seems like sometimes we have to throw away our abilities. We have to throw away the things that we think that God wants to use in order for him to do something with it. Sometimes we have to throw everything away and let him start from scratch in our lives with a purpose that he wants to do with us. In a, a city called Tehran, Iran. How many of you ever heard of that little city? There's a palace there. And this palace is the palace of the kings. And a few hundred years ago, they were trying to make this palace the most beautiful palace on earth. And what they thought they would do is they would order these special mirrors from France. And they would put them in the entranceway of that palace. So that, they, so that when people came in, they would say, wow, this building is excellent. And so they ordered these mirrors, and when these mirrors arrived in Tehran, what they found was that every one of those mirrors was broken. 
They had just spent how many hundreds or thousands of dollars on those mirrors just to find them all broken. And they were getting ready to throw them out when one of the designers came up with a plan. And he says, let's just take those shards of glass and let's just begin to put them in the ceilings and on the walls. And today, when people walk into this palace of the kings in Tehran, they say, look who put the diamonds and who put the gems into the ceiling of, of this building because this is what it looks like. Can you imagine that those are just shards of mirrors? Those are just pieces of broken glass. And when you go into that place, people are saying, wow, this is brilliant. These are, they think they're diamonds. They think they're gems. They think they're emeralds. And all it is is pieces of broken glass. Think about our lives. If we surrender and we say, God, take my life, no matter how broken it is, and God, you be the designer of my life. What do you think God can do with you? God can take something that doesn't mean anything and make it into something so beautiful. Because you know why? When God sees things, he sees things differently than what we see things. Because God has a purpose and a plan. When he looks at us, he looks at us differently than we look at ourselves. And a good example of this is, is here, this next slide. Um, when you look at that, what do you see? Some of you are going to say, I see a beautiful lady. Others of you are going to say, I see a saxophonist. Anybody see those two things? And when God looks at us, sometimes we see the saxophone and God sees a beautiful person. Sometimes when we think we're beautiful, God sees a saxophone. Because God knows, because before the foundation of the earth, God created us and had a perfect plan for our lives. Mark Twain said it this way. He said, the two most important days of your life are the day that you are born and the day you find out why. The day you're born and the day you find out why. I believe that God has a plan for you. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you've been through in your life. If you surrender your life to God, he'll allow his plan to come true in your being. I'm going to share a story, and this story is my story. And the reason I'm sharing my story is because I know my story well. I don't know your stories, but I'm going to share mine. And I'm not doing this to boast. I'm not doing it. I just want you to see what God can do in your lives. I was born in Michigan, and in, 1960s, in 1965 or 66, we moved to Houston, Texas for my dad to finish his Bible schooling because he felt the call of God to Mexico. And so... In 1967, at his ordination service and at his, um, um, I don't know exactly what they call it, his, his um, calling to go to Poland, his uh, commissioning to Poland, or to, Mex to Mexico, excuse me, to Mexico, they were singing a song, and I don't know if you remember the song, I don't know if I can sing it this morning, but it goes something like this. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Or mountain, or plain, or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. Now, I know some of the older people recognize that. I remember them singing that at my dad's commissioning service to Mexico. 
And I remember tears for the first time. I was about seven years of age, begin to roll down my cheeks. I believe, and I didn't recognize it at the time, but I believe God was speaking to my heart. And I believe that God was preparing and planning something in me, a purpose in my heart. So we went off to Mexico where we served for about six years. And while we were there, I fell in love with the Mexican people. While we were there, because we were there, when I was, we left when I was seven and we came back when I was 13, somewhere right around there, I could speak Spanish better than I could speak English. I was more Mexican than I was American. I was a white Mexican. And I had literally fallen in love with that place. And when we came back home to America, I remember wanting, wanting to go back. And I remember saying, God, why are we here in America? I feel out of place. I went to school, and because in Veracruz, Veracruz, you would say, but we, in Veracruz we spoke Castilian Spanish, which was Spanish from Spain, and they didn't say the S's. And so when I came home, I, and the, at, in seventh grade, they put me in a speech therapy class because I, didn't, I pronounced everything. Instead of S, I pronounced a TH sound. Now, how many of you know in seventh grade you do not want to be put, singled out and put in a speech therapy class. And it just makes you feel like you're worthless. I remember I dressed different than the rest of my friends. I remember we didn't have some of the things some of my friends had. I remember feeling out of place. And I remember going to God and saying, God, get me back to Mexico. I want to go back there. I speak Spanish better than I speak English. I know the cultures there better than I know the cultures in the United States. I continued to survive, I'll say, through, through junior high. And when I was about um, 14 to 16 years of age, somewhere, 15, let's say 15, just to say right in the middle, I remember going to a rally in Sturgis, Michigan, a youth rally. And I remember going to an altar, after the, to the altar after the service and, and just pouring my heart out before God and saying, God, do something with me. I'm miserable. I don't like where I'm at here in the States. I want to go back to Mexico. I want to go back there. And God spoke to me. And he said these words. This was 1976. God said to me, he says, Richard, I am calling you to be a missionary to one of the countries in the Soviet Union. Now, I don't know if you know much about, some of you young people won't know, the older people will know this, but back then in those days, the Soviet Union, you did not send missionaries to. They were atheistic. They taught atheism. And they didn't want missionaries there. So when I finished my high school, I studied nuclear physics and nuclear medicine because I thought I would sneak behind the Iron Curtain. I remember having received that word from God in 1976, going back to my youth pastor, going back to my to my parents, going back to some of the leaders in the church and saying, God has just called me to, to part of the Soviet Union. And they looked at me and they said, it will never happen. They're atheists there. They don't want you. You'll never be a missionary there. I finished my school. I studied nuclear medicine. I was in a place called Ithaca. Um, I was youth pastor in a little church called Saint, in St. Louis, Michigan, called Parkside Assembly of God. And... It was on a Wednesday evening, and I will never forget this. I came home from, I was working in the hospital. I came home from the hospital. I was going to go to youth, youth service that night, and I turned on the news for just a moment. And when I turned on the news, I saw a man take a hammer and begin to swing this hammer and hit this wall. 
and pieces of this wall begin to fall off. And I remember God saying to me, he said, Richard, I'm doing this now to remind you of your calling. This was 1989. It was the fall of the Berlin Wall. I was excited. I went back and began to finish up my schooling through Berean to get my pastoral studies so I could get my certificate of ministry, so I could get my, my license to preach and get my ordination so I could become a missionary. And I was married, and so I, I, was, I, was, I had two jobs. I had a youth pastor job, I had a secular job, and now I was studying. And so what would take some people maybe a couple of years, it took me about ten. But during this time, while, while, while I was waiting for God to get us there, my wife and I began to go on missions trips to countries behind the Iron Curtain, countries behind that Berlin Wall, to find out where God called us. And we went to countries all over, to Russia. We went to different countries and never really, we felt like we could, we could be a missionary in any of them, but never really felt the call of God. So in 1997, I took a church in Bad Axe, Michigan, was pastoring there, and in 1999, a friend of mine up here in Traverse City, Kerry Waldy, the pastor there, who was my friend, called me up and says, Richard, I'm going to Poland. I'm taking a team there, and I need you to come help me lead it. My exact words to him were this. I don't want to go to Poland. All there are there is a bunch of Polacks. You know, God has a sense of humor. I end up, to make a long story short, I end up going on this trip with Pastor Kerry to Poland. I get off the airplane in Warsaw International Airport there, and I start crying. The same tears I cried back in 1967. And as I'm crying, God's speaking to me saying, this is where I called you to in 1976. Now, as you know, we are now missionaries to Poland. We've been there 15 years, and we have enjoyed it. And yes, there have been good times, and yes, there have been hard times. Anybody that's in ministry knows that it's not always a bed of roses, that there's always hard times. At the end of last term, not this term, but at the end of our second term, after we'd been there about um, nine years, um, we, we had been working on building projects. We had just, um, had just started that church plant, and the church plant was struggling. Um, the, the building project, we'd worked on 19 different building projects across the nation of Poland. We'd finished all those. So we went to the national church to find out what they would do with us next, and they said, we don't, want, we don't know what to do with you. As a matter of fact, they even made a comment, we'd rather have your money than you. And so we were discouraged. We didn't know what to do. And about four months before our term was up, our landlord came up to us and said, I need this apartment that you've been renting now for the last eight years or nine years, whatever it was. And to us, it was almost like God was saying, your time is up. You know, it was like Edna, a, a, a thorn to something that was already bleeding. You know what I'm saying? And so we began to pray, and we only had four months left on that term. And in Poland, if you have a contract in Warsaw, you get a two-year contract normally for a house. So we didn't know what to do, and we began to pray. And, and as we were praying, she gave us one month to get out. Our landlord did. And so as we were praying, we decided we were going to go out and see if, some, if someone in that city, that big city of Warsaw, would rent to us on a month-by-month basis. Couldn't, for three weeks, we couldn't find anybody to do that. We had one week left, and we found a place where a lady agreed to rent us an apartment on a month-to-month -month basis. 
because we didn't want to have a two-year contract and then end up in Portugal or someplace as missionaries. So as I'm signing this contract, for a month-to-month contract, I hand the lady the contract, and she says to me, she says, you know, I've had this apartment now vacant for over a year as part of my income because she was retired, she says, and I need to rent it. And so three weeks ago, the same time we were being pushed out of our apartment, she said to me, she says, three weeks ago I went to my astrologer. She says, I asked my astrologer when I would rent the place, and the astrologer said this. She said, when the Americans come, you will rent it. I had just signed that contract. I looked at Lori and I said, oh my goodness, it just went from bad to worse. I was joking with Lori. I said, Grandma, go, let's go down and buy a, a, a couple gallons of oil. We'll just anoint the place. Two weeks later, this landlord lady ends up in our church out of the blue. Come by herself. We told her who we were. She knew where our church was, and she just showed up. And she gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. She sent me with this. She said, this is my heart. She says, when you go to those churches in America, she says, and you tell them my story, she says, show them my heart and thank them for sending you to Poland. And so from the bottom of Marilka, that's her name, Maria or Marilka, from the bottom of Marilka's heart, I want to thank you for sending us to Poland, even if it's just for one soul. She's worth it. So we came home last term, not this term, but last term we were home. At the end of that term, we came home for a year. We were here in the States. We showed this heart to some of you. I don't think you guys ever saw it because I don't think I made it here last time. We showed this heart and we thanked all the churches for this. And so I'm thanking you a little bit, but thank you. And as, did I lose my mic? Did it come plugged? Are we okay now? No? Am I, am I in now? Can you hear me? Should I switch? So we So we came home last term. What's red? Okay, I'll talk loud. So anyway, we came home and during that furlough I was praying, and we were asking God what we were, where we were going to go because we sure we still weren't sure. We were paying our month on a month-by-month basis, and we weren't sure what God was going to do with us. And as we were praying one time, I, I, went, I said this to God. God, By faith, we went back to Poland. And when we get back to Poland, one week after we're back there, Marilka, the lady whose heart I just showed you, her stepbrother comes all the way from Poznan, which is about five hours, 
from Poznan to Warsaw to meet me. He says, Richard, we're going to take you and introduce you out of the blue. He says, we're going to introduce you to the Polish Hunting Association. And he's already got a, a, a meeting set up for me to meet the headhunter, not the headhunter, but the, the headhunter of, of Poland. So I go to this meeting. We talk for a while. And they said, yes, it's possible for you to be a hunter in Poland. Normally, you have to do a two-year internship, like a mentorship underneath a, a hunter. But because I had already been a hunter here, because I had already gone through the, the safety um, tests, because I had already had my CPL license, because I had already had hunting licenses and everything, they waived that. And because... For some reason, none of our other missionaries from the Assemblies of God had ever gotten what we had gotten. We had gotten a permanent residency in Poland a few years back. None of our other missionaries had ever gotten that. They had tried and they had failed. And they said, the government says you can't do it. But for some reason, we were given favor for that. And because I had that permanent residency, they said I can be a hunter. They said there's only one problem. You have to take five tests. You have to take a written test. You have to take a, um, a verbal test. You have to take a shooting test. You have to take a, um, a, a doctor's test. And you have to take a psychological test. And then you can be a hunter if you pass those, but we can't guarantee you that you can have a gun. Because they don't have a Second Amendment. And because I'm a foreigner. They says chances are you can be a hunter, but you'll never carry a gun. So I went through the testing. 93% on the, on the written. Passed the verbal in front of the head commission of all of Poland Hunting Association. Passed the psychological... Can you believe I passed the psychological test? Passed the psychological test. Passed every test they threw at me. Threw, passed the shooting test. That was the easiest part of the whole thing. Got all that done. And now I could go before the commandant, the head, the head commandant of Warsaw, in order to turn in my paperwork for it to get my gun. I now was a Polish hunter, but I couldn't carry a gun. So they gave me, I had about this much paperwork, literally, seriously. If you took the papers and you stacked them up, they'd be about this high. I took them in before the commandant, but a week before, and I'm going to back up just a little bit. A week before I did that, I met a man who was a secretary to the head hunter of Poland who personally knew the commandant. And he told me, you put the papers in, I'll go talk to him. This is a God setup. We can't write these things. So I turned the paperwork in. The lady, the police officer, a little lady cop, a little lady police officer at the desk looked at me and she says, you want a firearm? I said, yes, ma'am. She says, well, basically what she was saying, I could read behind the, between the lines is he'll never get it. She says, well, normally we only give these to citizens. If you get a decision to have a, a firearm, it'll take three months. I left there kind of discouraged, but I knew God, things were in God's hands. I left there, and three weeks later, I received a decision for 10 guns. I took the decision back to the lady. The, the, the same police officer was there. I gave her that decision, and she looked at me, and she says, How did you get this so quickly? I said, God loves me the same way he loves you. And I was able, in a, a few short words, to share the gospel with her. 
Now when I go back into that police office, I had to go back every time I check my guns. And every time I go back there, they just smile at me. And they, she brings her friends in, and they talk to me, and we t- get talking about Jesus. So I'm allowed now to have a gun. I'm allowed to go hunting. Because God does things greater than, better than we can even imagine or think. And so I begin hunting. And as I begin hunting, I find out that they have a thing called traditional signaling on their group hunts. And in this traditional signaling, they use these trumpet-type things that Lori showed you. This one's called a power force. This is what I play. And Lori has a little one called the Pless. Now, I'm telling you this because Lori grew up as a trumpet major in school. Who puts this together? Tell me God doesn't know what he's doing. And so I went to her. I said, Lori, they play these trumpet type things on the the field. You can learn the signals and you can begin to play. And we can go do this stuff together. I'll hunt and you play. But she plays so well, she she becomes third place in the national championships. And she plays so well that they're inviting her now. They're inviting her to these, um, these big events, um, the 90th anniversary of the Polish Hunting Association. She plays on the radio. She plays for funerals all over the country for hunters who passed away and then gets to talk to the families. She plays for these big um, impresas, um, what's the word in English? These big celebrations in all these big um, hunting clubs, and I just get to tag along. And I get jealous. And how many of you know that sometimes in the finding the purpose of God, there's a little challenge, a little bit of a challenge. And sometimes in this challenge, you have to learn something new. At the age of 53, I go to Lori and I say, Lori, can you teach me how to play that horn? And for about two and a half years now, I've been playing this horn. I started on the small one and about nine months ago, I began to play the big one. And now... We go to competitions together. We play at funerals together. We're able, after the funeral of the hunter, we're able to minister to the family. Now, because there are only 400 signalists in all of Poland, and we are the first Americans to ever do this, they specifically ask for the American, American signalists to come to their hunt clubs. And we go to their hunt clubs, then they open the doors for us to minister. We have ministered to as many as 300 at one time. We have ministered to, to hunt clubs all over Poland. We have gotten into groups of people where we've never been able to go before. Before, when we want to go to these places and minister, we'd always have to have permission from the priest. And the priest would say, no way. And now, in one hunt club, particularly last Christmas, it wasn't, can the pre, it wasn't them going to the priest and asking for permission for me to come. It was them coming to me to ask for permission for their priest to come. Remember Acts when God says, when they said in Acts about those apostles, these are the men that turned the world upside down? That's what God is doing. And God can do that when you find your purpose in Him. As a matter of fact, just before I left Poland, in order to be a, a true signalist, you have to be part of the club. And you have to play Class B. And because I'd only been playing for about two years, I'd only played Class C. And so just before I left, my, my goal was to make it in Class B and to try to get 150 points so I could become a, a, a signalist, part of the club. And I scored 260 points on that test. And, and that was God. It was God who gave me the abilities that I never had. I'm not a music person. I, I could not 
I could not read a note of music. But now I've taken a course in reading music, and now I can read music, and I can play a horn simply because God has given me those abilities, because God has had a purpose for my life, just like God has a purpose for your lives as well. And sometimes we don't know what those purposes are. But I want you to know that God knows more than all of us know together. And God has a plan. And God has a specific purpose for your life. And I want you to understand that I believe that this is my purpose to be a missionary in Poland. To be a hunter in Poland. Where God can use my passions for his glory. And God will use your passions for his glory if you allow him to do that. God wants to use the thing that you love the best. If you'll surrender it to him, God can use those things for his glory. I want to share a story with you. I'm sorry I've kept you I think I probably kept you pretty late. But I want to share a story with you. It's a true story. It's a story about a lady named Brenda. Yeah, and I don't know if it was Brenda or not, but it was a lady named Brenda. And this lady named Brenda had a lot of friends and she was passionate about her friends and she was trying to, to, to be real close to her friends because she was leading them to Jesus. And um, she wanted to stay close to them, but they were all rock climbers or, or mountain climbers. You know, they climbed the faces of these mountains and she did not know how to do that. And just like me wanting to learn to trumpet, she wanted to learn to, to rock climb. And so she went to like a Dick's Sporting Goods, you know, where they have the climbing walls or to some other places where they have these climbing walls and she began to practice. And she began to climb these climbing walls and she began to understand about belaying. She began to understand about carabiners. She began to understand everything there was to know about rock climbing, mountain climbing. And finally it came to the day where she wanted to go out with her friends and go mountain climbing. And they picked a moderate mountain or a moderate face and they began to climb it. And after they were about a couple hundred feet above the ground, Brenda was kind of pausing there waiting for her friends to, to continue the ascent. When the safety rope from that, from that was there, slapped back and snapped her in the face. It snapped her in the eye and knocked her contact out. And without her contacts, you know, she still had one, but without the other one, she was pretty much, that eye was pretty much blind. And so she began to search around her clothing to see if she could find that contact, but she couldn't. She searched along the, because she thought maybe it might have fallen to the crevice of the rock or something there. So she searched there, couldn't find it. She continued her ascent kind of half blind and she got to the top and she looked at her friends and she says, you know what? She said, I lost my contact someplace. And so they began to search through her clothing. She half undressed so that they could see if it was still in her pocket or had fallen someplace, stuck in someplace and they couldn't find it. So they sat down that moment and they prayed. And they said, God, Brenda needs this contact. And it's not like the ones that are disposable today, you know, where you stick one in the next day. These were the hard ones that, that you know, were expensive. And so they began to pray. Could not find it. They, they went down. The, they descended the hill, descended the mountain, went back down. And as they were going to their cars, another group was coming towards them. And one of the members of that group said, yelled out, hey, did anybody lose a contact? I mean, the thing had fallen hundreds of feet down the face of that mountain. And Brenda said, how did you find my contact down here? When, when, you know, I, it fell over there by the face of the mountain and we're out here. Now, how did you find my contact way over here? I mean, how could you do that? And they said, we didn't find it. 
They said we were looking at, we were just walking up towards the, the mount, mountain face, and we saw this ant on the ground. And this ant was carrying something. And so one of us reached down and we picked up with the ant with the thing, and it was a contact lens. Think about that for a moment. It sort of reminds me of a story in the Bible where there's a man who is asked to prophesy against Israel. Remember Balaam? And Balaam decides that he's going to go. God tells him not to prophesy, but he decides he's going to go to the king, any Balak, the king anyway. And on the way, his donkey stops. And the donkey looks back at him and begins to talk to him. How many of you know God controls animals? They said, There's, we, didn't know, we didn't find it. This ant brought it to us. And so we picked it up. Now, Brenda's father is a cartoonist. And this is the cartoon that Brenda, Brenda's father drew. And it says this. It says, Lord, I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. I can't eat it. and It's awfully heavy. But if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. That ant saved the day for Brenda. I wonder what would happen if we as a church would stick our hands up and say, God, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know where you want me to go. I don't know what you're going to do with me in the future. But today I surrender to you. I may not be able to eat I may not be able to feasibly live where I'm going, the way that I'm living right now. But God, I surrender right now today to you. And I say, God, use me for your glory because your purpose is greater than what I could ever imagine or think. Yes, God, I believe there will be challenges ahead. But God, I know that your purpose is greater than anything that I can imagine or think. Keep your hands up for just a moment. Father God, you see these hands. God, you see people right now all across this auditorium surrendering to you, to your will. And God, I know that you are the God of purpose. I know that you are the God that made us special. You are the God that have made us into masterpieces. We are not failures. We are your children. When we come to you, God, you change everything. You take our brokenness and you make it into something beautiful. You take our blindness and you give us sight. And today I pray for these people who have their hands raised that right now, God, that you would receive their surrendering, that you would receive this now and use them for your glory in a way that they've never been used for your glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now in the hunt, before we go out hunting, we blow a signal. How many of you remember the story of Peter, James, and John when they're on the seashore and Jesus comes up to them? And Jesus says, you guys right now are fishermen. He says, but I'm going to turn your lives into fishers of men. From now on, you are going to catch men. Remember that story? In Poland, in the Polish language, the word to catch 
is the word wovich. Can you say wovich? That's the word to catch. When we go fishing, we say wovich ribe. I'm catching fish, to catch fish. On that day, when Jesus called those disciples, he said to them, from now on, you are going to wovich trovieka. From now on, you are going to catch men. In hunting, the word that we use to go out and to get an animal, we don't say we're going to kill an animal. We say we're going to wovich as virgina. We're going to catch animals. The literal word is the same word that Jesus used when he says you're going to catch men. We use it for catching animals. And so as hunters, not only do Lori and I catch animals, we catch men for the glory of God. And we use our passions for that. And there's a signal. And Lori's going to come up and try to play this for you. But this signal, the signal that she is going to play is called Apel Nawove. It literally means in the English language is an appeal to the catch. And she's going to play this for you this morning. And this is going to be your signal that from this day forward, you've been called by purpose from God to catch man and appeal to the catch. This is your signal. Amen. Well, if I can have uh, Amy, worship team, come back up. So we close the service today. We're going to pray for the McLeans. I also want to open up the altars um, at the end of every service. We always give time. We have a prayer team that we don't want you to leave. If you came in with a burden, to leave with that burden. Came in with a sickness, you don't need to leave with the sickness. But there is a God who has healed you. That means already has healed you. And there's teams of people that want to pray for you. So right now, if you just stand up where you're at, if I can get the McLeans to come up front again, Pastor Neil, Deborah, um, prayer team, come around, circle around them, put your hands on them. Let's pray for them. God, we just lift these two up to you, God, that you've called, you've commissioned. And you've prepared a way. God, we want to thank you first and foremost, God, for the way that you've paved. God, this creative masterpiece plan that you have. And you knit them, Lord, right into that plan, woven together, Lord, that they would be catchers of men. Lord, and you, you've knit them together. You've knitted your plan together with the passions that you created within them, God. And you let them now live out this incredible journey for your glory. God, we ask for a hedge of protection to stay around them. But God, continue to bless them, Lord. Men upon men upon men would be caught, Lord, through their ministry, God. And make them, God, Lord, not only the bugle callers for the hunters, but like they just did for us today, a bugle call, a, a 
a horn call, Lord, there that just reminds everyone they come around of their purpose and their creative purpose that they were born with for you. God, we just ask right now, Lord, continue to open doors for them that no man can shut. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. If you've got a prayer, if you want prayer today, please come.